to say yes sir and then the bible goes on to say eh hey, hey, if you are obedient you are calling the bible alaba shake bredo sokolo hey hallelujah ah no let's do this thing give me first peter chapter 3 
don't just use your time anyhow. Uh, there are people who think it's enough for them to have a job. It's not enough. There are people who think that some people have been given purpose by society. Society gives you, uh, society will give you a job. Society will give you a system, but it never gives you purpose. Some of you never, never, never wanted to study what you are studying. There are a few people who are studying photocopying and binding who actually wanted to do photocopying and binding. They probably wanted to do uh, something else. Maybe they wanted to be an accountant. See? So society does not necessarily give you uh, a purpose. If you realize that you are giving all your life and energies to society and even making money, God will not tell you, hey, that workplace where you are working, unless maybe it really has something to do with uh, your eternity, if you let people go to hell when you have helped them get saved. There are some, some, of, your, some of your friends, you should be helping them get saved, but you are not helping them. So spend your time correctly. Remember to always make time. Don't say, I'll find time. Stop looking. Make. Money. This is where I sat for a while. And I hope I've been able to help um, a few of you realize whether what you have is a friendship or a friendship. <laughs> it's seeping from you. Okay, then we looked at motives. This one was heavy, right? Yeah. We looked at motives. Very, very important. Um, that's very key. That's very key. Because you can do so many things, but if you are not doing it with the correct motive, you will have a problem with God. All of us will be saying, ah, they want me shake. But with God, it's another issue. So always search your motive. And when you reach a place in life where you are able to search your motive, you begin to mature. If before you do something, you realize, ah, okay, my heart is not feeling well. First, let me wait, because I think I'll say this thing, but I'm not meaning it. Faith is also a motive. By the way, faith is also a motive. So you can start saying certain things that are not happening. Your motive is not to show off, it's not to brag, it's to cause those things to come into existence. So faith is equally a motive um, in that context. But today, I know we're supposed to look at, we're supposed to look at, um, so winning. But I think before we look at so winning, let's look at gifts, talents, ministries, and callings. Now, now, okay, so we are going to look at those. God is going to use these things to judge us. He's going to judge us. In fact, these are some of the most important things, apart from salvation. Some of the most important things God is going to judge us, to give us a reward or not, our gifts, the gifts he gave us, he invested in us, the ministries he placed us into and gave to us, and then the callings he brought into. So those things, in fact, this is where the weight is going to be. Okay? So pay attention. Okay? Pay attention. Very important. Um, now, I'm going to part, so part three, basically we are going to call it the, the multidimensionalism of man, or the manifold man, or the man of many parts. Now, I'm not going to start teaching you biology, 
the reason why I put this up is just to show you that man is made of many parts. We are not just one thing like a mop. Even mops have got parts. The front part, the part which is not wet and the part which is dry. The part which is dirty, the part which is almost getting dirty and the very dirty part. See? Yeah, that's the anatomy of a mop. Now, <laughs> a human being by nature, the way God created him, he created him in such a way that he's made of many parts. Someone say many parts. So you can write that down, but call it the multidimensionalism of man. The multidimensionalism of man. Okay? There, there's something uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm, I'm going to take you somewhere. When we read the Bible, we discover that a human being is made of many parts. Everybody say many parts. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God himself sanctify you completely. And may your hope, somebody say spirit, soul, and body. He says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, he who called you is faithful and he will do it. He says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. It is very possible for you to be preserved blameless before the coming of the Lord. Now someone said, mm, how is it possible? We are all sinners. We are just human. But the Bible suggests that it's possible. And this is a problem that we have with our generation today. There is their own opinions, then there's what the scriptures say. There is very emotional perceptions which must fit their narrative and be fed into their itching ears. But not the truth. When you show them the truth, they react. They hate the truth with their passion. You can see by the way they respond. Yeah. But what I'm telling you here is may the God of peace, motives, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So God can sanctify you. Someone say, God is sanctifying me. It is not your duty to sanctify yourself. That's why you fail. That's why you reach a dead end. That's why you join that bandwagon which says holiness and all that kind of stuff. You have not yielded to the spirit of grace. Many people, what they know is yielding to temptation. I'm dead. Then what happens when you are tempted? Ah, And your favorite song is the one one danaka. You should graduate at least after the morning one danaka start. You are my strength when I'm weak. Change. You recognize that even in weakness there is strength. Can your soul graduate then? Some people are always, they are always the woman who is bleeding. Always wanting to touch the garment of Jesus. Graduate, become Peter now. You graduate these things, hallelujah. So your whole spirit, soul, body, the point is, you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. So you are not just a body. The Bible suggests otherwise. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. I'm not going to... But what I'm really trying to drive across is the fact that we are in three, as human beings, we are... We are the manifold man. We are multidimensional. We are a spirit. We are a soul. We are a body. And that was God's original intent. A human being was in fact never meant to go to heaven in the first place. Us going to heaven was never the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God was fellowship. God, why did he put it on earth if you wanted us in heaven? Has it ever occurred to you? I think, I think, I think Adam 
used to attend meetings once in a while in heaven. But his home was here. That's why he created us. So don't just be out there waiting one day to go. Finish your work here. If going to heaven was the most important thing, then the moment you got saved, you would have been raptured. But after you are saved, we are still here together. <laughs> Facing the same temptations. <laughs> some of you winning, some of you, you are getting there. So all I'm saying is, you see, a lot of people just know, I know I was tempted. Ah, my temptation, my temptation. In fact, there is also yielding to grace. It says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Meaning there's a way to not enter into temptation. And always remember, <clears throat> the moment your spiritual life begins going down, you are likely to sin any time if you're not careful. Because the Bible says, watch and pray so that you may not enter. Meaning prayer is that place which keeps your watch quick, keeps your watch alive. When you are in a spirit of prayer, when you're in, a, you know, in that zone, it's easy to discern the move of God. It's easy to know how Satan is, <coughs> is operating. Hallelujah. So, next time, don't just say, oh, it was temptation. This time, yield to grace. Hallelujah. Grace and temptation are so alike. Except in the opposite. The fact that you are tempted is not the problem. It's the fact that you yielded to the temptation. So the fact that you are tempted does not mean you are a sinner. Because even the scripture says of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4, verse 15, that he was tempted in all points. Think of them, all of them. The Bible says all of them, yet without sin. That means he was tempted, but he never yielded to temptation. He yielded to grace instead. Are you listening to me? He yielded to grace. For every temptation, there is double a grace. For every temptation, there is double a grace. You are more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when those things begin to come, in, come into your consciousness and you're saying, I've got a weakness. I always, I always want to do the right thing. But the moment I touch my phone, I know the sights. My thumbs just go there. Your thumbs are on autopilot. They just fly you into the wrong places. By the way, that's not a weakness, it's a bondage. Because in a weakness, God is glorified. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm, I'm, I'm strong. Because your strength is made perfect in my weakness. But in a bondage, Satan is glorified. So, say, I've got a bondage. <laughs> I don't say I've got a weakness. It's like a bondage, I'm struggling with. So don't quite a, a what? Are you listening to me? Yeah. So next time, your confession changes now the grace being sufficient. I felt the grace and I yielded to it. I followed God. Hallelujah. Okay. Let me not stay here for long. So Mark 20, uh, 12, 18. The Bible says 12, 28 that is. Then one of the tribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked which is the first commandment of all? That is to mean first, first as in rank of importance. Not that which one comes first. That would have been a funny question. That's a scribe. He knows the first one. So you should understand when the Bible says first, it means coming in rank and importance. The Bible is subject to interpretation. The Bible, we don't just get the Bible always literally. It's also subject to interpretation, but that's a story for another day. Do 
Jesus answered him, the first of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's read. One, two, three, go. You don't just love God at boom. You love God in parts. You love God in parts. Says you shall love God with number one in your heart. I'm not going to get into the definitions, but that just tells you that a human being is made of many parts. And I'm going. A human being is made of many. You are made of many parts. It says you've got a heart, you've got a soul, you've got a mind, and you've got strength. When we say, when we say, when we say that woman is powerful, what do we mean? We are not saying she can beat every other man. Mainly when you hear that someone is powerful. Can we make sure we close these doors? Mainly when we say that someone is powerful, we are saying they are rich. Oh, come on, talk to me. Am I saying the truth here? Yeah. When we say that someone is powerful, don't we also mean someone is rich? When we say those are powerful people, it means they are rich. Because someone is powerful. powerful. But powerful in terms of finances. So the Bible is saying, you shall love the Lord your God also with your strength. And today we are going to love the Lord with our strength. Yes. We'll love the Lord with our strength. Are you ready to love the Lord with your strength? Yes. One way it's your money. We can tell whether you love God or not by how you give. We can tell. I'm a shawama But you can't keep that man that you can't so you love God also with your strength. Someone say, I love God with my strength. I love God. Yeah. So and concerning partnership, all those all those who did not know there was partnership but would like to play, just lift your hands because they are going to give you the, the word. So just Raise your hand. If you never knew, you are new, but you would like to still say, I don't have now, but I can give on this day. How many are you? I want to bless you with that. Oh, please, there's a wonderful sister there. Amazing sister here. Please give them. Let them, let them love the Lord with their strength. Now, obviously, every month, every month we'll be having, just raise your hand, the ushers will reach you. They're amazing, hardworking ushers. They are your servants. Now, obviously, every three months we'll be having these big giving meetings. They are very important. I was just encouraging you how I felt bad that for this month. Okay, maybe I ain't there, but uh, instead of encouraging people, they are not <laughs> I know, obviously, I can do better. But you also, now the reason I'm telling you also is just to make you realize that you can give beyond. Someone say he's boastful. I boast not because of what I got, but because of what I gave. How does that offend you? <laughs> and then we'll count all the money at the end. What's our target, by the way? Do you people think we use anointing oil to take people from cafe to here for buses? Yeah, you think this screen that you like so much, Richie, you think someone bought with clapping of hands? Huh? Do you people think this deco was made by... 
Like meeting for sale meetings. No, talk to me. Do you think that camera was bought by uh, forming the organization Young Adults? There's nothing of value we'll ever give to God without spending money on it. Amen? Soon we are going to buy buses. And we'll be getting people far to come listen to the gospel. The gospel is received for free, but we don't send it out for free. Any man who has not yet spending, started spending, any man or woman who has not yet started spending on the gospel, being inconvenienced by it, has not yet really begun ministry. If you are in ministry, but praise, you have to buy a uniform, uniform, you have to do this, do that. Ministry is costly. It's costly. When you are receiving the gospel, you even refuse. When people are giving you drinks in the street, you even saying, I have not arrived here. But, yeah. Sometimes they don't know you. You one, you are educated. Two, you spend your money on that track. Three, you are fasting. <laughs> Four, they will just go to hell if they are not careful. But that's what happens in ministry. You spend. So every after three months, we'll be doing our big giving. Are you listening to me? Yeah. So, just to challenge you, mine is 15, 16, how much? FD, what is my partnership so far? can round it off just 15 billion. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just saying that to encourage you. I felt bad because my target was 16 P, but that's what I could manage. <laughs> I know you've done data. Uh, so just know, in case, in case you're also out there saying, where is the money going? The pastor is eating. He's just giving. <laughs> Be encouraged. I'm saying this so that, and do you know that the Bible actually records how much people gave? Eh? Here we record, we'll show, not names, we'll just show amounts. <laughs> we'll show. And I know this is this is a part that people this is a part that people don't like about the church. We don't steal your money. You give it to God. It's a government you should be saying they steal your money. They get your taxes. But you don't complain, you just say, Oh, yet. You feel bad once and you continue getting, but they keep getting your money. You have no problem. Every month they get. But when it comes to giving to God, you have to pray, encourage your heart. Can you just do it as a cheerful giver? It has to reach a point where you don't have to struggle to do the right thing. It becomes an outflow of you. Hallelujah. So we'll be doing this every three months and it's going to be exciting. And if you're coming for the first time, maybe this is also what you need to learn. I know when you invite someone to church and you're expecting the pastor to preach this other sermon, and the pastor preaches giving. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll get into some awesome stuff. So, man is in three parts. You also see that in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God and powerful and sharper than any sword or double edged sword. Double edged does not mean okunoku. 
double-edged sword means sharpened as if it was sharpened twice on the same side. The Bible doesn't say it's a two-sided. It says it's a double-edged. That's actually the meaning of the expression double-edged. So just in case there are some theologians here, and then yesterday you are teaching. The double-edged sword, this side and that side. Today, don't delete the Facebook post, which has got 1.2 views. Okay, okay, so it's piercing even to the division of, everybody read with me, one, two, three, go. So the word of God divides, it brings a division between your soul and your spirit and your body where the joints and the marrow are, are converging. See? That's what the word of God begins to show you. The Bible says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That means it goes deeper. But the word of God applies to your body. That's what he's trying to say. It can show you a lot about your body. It can go into your soul. Now some of this mental mental health stuff that people are dealing with. There is a lot of scriptures that we can use, not just to give people a perspective that lasts for the next two days, but an eternal deep perspective that touches their spirit and overflows to their soul, to their mind. And that's what keeps people anchored and able to be shaken for long periods of time. See, I'm anchored on the word of God. And when you stay on, the Bible says, he shall keep him, uh, 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 Isaiah uh, 26.3, he shall keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, already there, mental health scripture. So, the focus of your mind is a definition of your peace. Because it says, I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is state. So, things may come there, but state. Everything is happening, everyone is living their Bible, you are state. The invariable consequence is perfect peace. It doesn't say peace, it says perfect peace. The price for perfect peace is a state mind of God. You stay, someone says stay. You stay. Don't be shaken, you stay. Don't be shaken, stay. Don't let anyone move you from the things you've learned for a long time, stay. Are you listening to me? Yeah, so that is what we learn from uh, the Bible when it shows us that man is made in many parts. I said all that just to show you that man is made in many parts. So, man is made of many parts. Now, this is this was the plan of God from inception. A man was made of, of many parts, not just in his biological uh, makeup, but also in his uh, dimensions of existence. Because we are so special to God. We are so special to God that uh, uh, we can exist in both realms at once. A human being exists both in the realm of the spirit and in the physical realm at once. Even we are God's precious creation. Do you realize that? We exist in two realms at once. Even angels don't exist in two realms at once. They have to be given permission for them to function. 
They, they have to come on special license. Even demons have to find a way to affect someone's life. Even Satan had to use the serpent in order to deceive. He had to use a body. Even Jesus couldn't come to this earth without going to make a deal with a woman. Can I enter you please? Let me be born. <laughs> Why? Because the word was a spirit, but it had to become flesh for it to operate here. So whilst you are here, remember that you are so special. You are so special. This body is important to you. You need to be in this house. Because once you lose this body, you have to check out. The Bible says, I left Fluffy Lazarus, the angels took him. So I'm going to die. This is the reason why we want to stay longer. Because there are some things we can only do in our bodies. But your body never fails so that you can serve God with I said your body will never fail. Amen. So don't abuse your body. The Bible says it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. God needs you. Did you know that? God needs your body. So just don't spend it killing to abuse videos. Don't just spend it waking. Don't some of this wisdom of the world where you are only respected because you've got a job which you work from morning to evening. That's okay. But remember that you are working for yourself, for your government, and for some other person. It must bother you. It must bother you that you are not working for God as you should. It must bother you. You are using your body, but for yourself, there's no sacrifice. Make a decision to serve God. See? So, the Bible tells us, God created man in his own image and after his likeness. And when he did that, uh, he gave him an assignment. God told him, and now this is very important. God told him, the Bible says, And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So, the purpose that God put the man in the garden was number one to dress it. The word to dress comes from a Hebrew word which also means to enslave. It means he was supposed to work it. Because what slaves do is they work. So he was supposed to work the garden. Are you listening to me? And then to keep it. That means to protect it even jealously. Because that word keep is the word where we get the word Jehovah Shammah. Psalm 121. The Lord who keepeth thee, he will neither slumber nor sleep. That name is God's name. So, whatever assignment God has given you, man or woman, you must keep it. Keep it. You fulfill it. You keep it. You don't let anything come in between you and your assignment. You keep it. Someone said, I'm keeping my assignment. Yeah. So, he was given an assignment to keep at the garden and to dress it. Now, to dress the garden... I believe now it was not just like a small garden, the one you have back in the village where you enter, you find I don't know. It was it was it was a portion, a huge portion. It was actually large. They say that it was situated somewhere in Iran. But I, that's what uh, uh, archaeologists say. Garden of Eden was located somewhere in Iran. But I argue against that because that would defeat the story of Noah's ark. Because the, the, the flood of Noah was so bad that historically it's, it's been proved that it was 10 millimeters above Mount Everest. That's how the earth was filled. So it's difficult to find the life that existed 
and to get the geographical positions as, as they should have been because of the extent of the damage. But anyway, so let's imagine it was somewhere in Iran. I could argue it was somewhere in Africa because of Noah's blood. But what I'm saying is it was big. It was not just like a small garden. It was a big place that God had invested his presence and had created certain things. Okay? Now, when you look at what is involved in farming and gardening and keeping and dressing an environment, there are a number of skills that you need. There are a number of skill sets that you need. I'm telling you all this to tell you that when God was creating Adam, he had put in him a number of skills. And I'm going somewhere. He had put in him a number of skills that would make him be able to keep the garden and to dress it. Because God can never give you an assignment or God can never give you a responsibility without the ability to meet the responsibility. Goes to start rap career. So, <laughs> so God gave him <clears throat> some, some skills. I believe some among them, this is what I looked up. So Adam knew all these things. Adam knew soil analysis because it's not everything that needs black soil. There are some plants which need some soil which is more alkalinic and some which is acidic. So you have to understand pH levels. So Adam understood all that and he knew which plant has to go where. So there is soil analysis, there is composting, and there is, and I'm not explain all this. There is sunlight, sunlight tracking. If there's, it's a garden and it's big, then plants needs to receive, um, need to receive oxygen, and they, they need to also, and they need to receive carbon dioxide during the day so that they may photosynthesize and give back oxygen. So that means you have to see those smaller plants where to place them so that they can be able to receive sunlight. You, you have to learn it. But him, it, that skill set was already in him when God was creating him. This is some of the work that he was doing. He was able to. Uh, uh, to pick seeds, he did seed starting. Adam also did seed saving, okay, because the Bible says, for as long as the earth remains, Genesis 8, seed time and harvest. That means God said, okay, even after Noah's flood, seed time and harvest will continue. He was not instigating it, he was giving it an opportunity, he was giving it a leeway to continue. So that means Adam, pre the Noah's flood, knew when to sow and when to save and where to get seed and not just to eat things and throw them away. He understood all that stuff. Adam also understood plant propagation from stem cutting. So there are different ways in which you grow plants. I'm sure some of you who do agriculture understand this kind of stuff. Where you get this plant, if you want to get a certain kind of lemon, you can go to the orange and then cut it and go and you know what I mean. All that kind of cool stuff. So Adam understood all that stuff because it was his responsibility to tend, to dress the garden. That means you're supposed to work it. Uh, he also understood what it means to transplant, to remove sometimes from the nursery and to bring it to a certain place after the seeds had been sown and they had grown. So he understood all that stuff. Uh, without going through a lot of learning, talk about watering and irrigation. There was, a, there was, there, there, there was some, there, there was some rivers that were there, but it was his responsibility to make sure that everything else, the Bible says God had not yet sent the rain because there was no man, there was no shrub or anything like that because there was no man to tend the garden except a mist. So that watering was not just supernaturally watering the garden. Adam had to make sure that the water is going through all the garden. That also tells you the amount of strength Adam had. He was not just your normal farmer guy. Mulching, or let me just basically say weeding. Adam knew when to remove weeds. Managing pests. Pruning. Maintaining tools. I wonder what tools he was using. 
Some of you think he was just using sticks. I don't know. But that came in the Stone Age. Adam was not in the Stone Age. Things changed. He also understood how to place plants in, in, in certain positions so that the wind or the bees can find those and then the wind or the bees, depending on the kind of uh, pollination. Some of it was mechanical, but he understood all that so that uh, other, 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 other plants could experience fertilization and the growth of plants would continue. Intelligent harvesting, remember seed time and harvest, those are the things that, uh, don't worry, I'm coming to an end with everything that Adam knew. Sometimes we think he was like a Middle Stone Age man or something. No, 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 no. He, there's a lot of stuff that Adam knew, but I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. Okay? But then things changed on the fall. The Bible says, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat. We're about to get into an important phase. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In joy you shall eat it all the days of your life. Oh. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In the sweat of your face. In the sweat of your face. In the sweat of your face. In the sweat of your face you shall eat. Something was born at this point. For out of it, that is, the, and you shall return to the ground. For out of it, you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So at this point, what I call the law of effort was born. When God told him that you have to sweat, the law of effort was born. Everybody said the law of effort. Adam used to labor, but even his labor was like percent. I labored more than all the apostles, but not I, by the grace of God. Yet I used the grace. That was place. But at this point, there was no grace. There was no relationship. There was no divine power. It was effort after effort. Effort after effort after effort after effort. So it just had to be effort and effort and effort. He had to sweat. So it was all out of effort. Everybody say effort. Someone said effort, effort. I understand. Because you even, even to find E, you have to sweat. Why not just say A? Just A, B, A. Effort, well. <laughs> so A for effort. So it was all about effort. He had to work in order to earn. And this is what we have all adopted. We have to work in order to earn. So we move from, so society now begins to increase, right? Society begins to move. We are moving uh, from dispensation to dispensation. And the economy now begins to, I'm now getting into a little bit of economics here. The economy begins to change. The economy begins to develop. Now, the development of the economy was an attempt by man to get back into the garden. Let me explain. So Adam is in the garden. It's perfect. He's able to do anything. He can walk from one day to the other. He's more powerful than angels on the earth, by the way. Adam was more powerful than angels on the earth. That's important for you to understand. It was his realm. Then suddenly, after he sins, all his powers finished. He can, he can sweat. The lion can chase him about. He can be beaten by a girl. He can be bullied. He's just reduced in power. So now, he wants to, he's trying, he was chased from the garden. Guy, God is like, now, guy, you wanted to be like me, go fend for yourself. So he's been chased from the garden, and now he has nothing except himself and his wife. And he's trying to find 
how he can get back to the garden. He tries to go back. God put a, a, a cherub angel with a flaming sword. It's a big guy like this who looked like me, I, I think. Like, you know what I mean? Eh? I just don't like boasting, but I don't go buff. So there's an angel. You can't go back. It's sealed. So he's trying to find a way to go back. By the way, that's how religion was born. Religion was also an attempt to go back to a relationship that was lost. But you can't go back to God unless God provides you the way, who is Jesus Christ. So, um, John 14, 6. So, he, he, he now starts giving birth to people who have never experienced the presence of God. That effortless work, that grace, they've never experienced that. But he reproduced that need to get back to the presence of God, yet without any prior knowledge. So you are born and you inherit the DNA of wanting a God you have no relationship or access to. So you will find him in a tree, you will find him in your desires, you will find him in your job. Whatever feels like you can serve it, you begin to serve it. Because you are looking for something you don't know. That's why, listen to me, some of you need to understand this. There is a natural God-sized hole that we have. Have you ever been there where maybe you are bathing and then after you are done, you go to your room, then you're like, oh, let me go pick up a comb in the bathroom. You go back to the bathroom, then you've forgotten what you went for. Then you look at the Vaseline, you're like, oh, I need the Vaseline. You also get the towel. But as you are going back, yes, you have those things, but you're like, stew more. There's like a stew more feeling going on there. How many can, can testify to this? You should not be forgetting things. Don't ask me how I knew. So, when, at that point, at that point, then you remember, ha! Ah, it's like there's this peacelessness. You can have everything. You can even get slippers. You can do everything. But as long as you've not found the calm, there will be a lack of peace about you. You can even go, you can iron your clothes. But you still need that thing. You'll be like, what's that thing I've not got it? That's how life is. People walk into life and they get an education. They know they need something. They don't know what it is. They think when I just get educated, the moment you get educated, that's when you realize ah, that friend of yours, him, he never even finished grade 12. He's a, he's a big businessman. Or you, the moment you finish, that's when you hear, ah, grade 12 is nothing. Go get a degree. The moment you get a degree, you hear, ah, degree. <laughs> you need a master's. The moment you get a master's, you feel like maybe you say to ah, could it be PhD? The moment you finish getting a PhD, no more That's when you hear to your friend too, she didn't even finish, yet she ran a big business. Now you want to start a business at your age. Why? Because we want things. They all feel maybe I just need friends. But I've seen people who the moment they get friends, that's when they became lonely. Loneliness is not about the number of people surrounding you. Loneliness is an emotional void. You can be in the presence of people and still be lonely. You can be in a relationship and still be lonely. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. It is not enough to want to be in a relationship because you've been lonely for a while, single for a while. There are other reasons you should get in a relationship. I've seen single people, very majority with God, and I've seen people in relationships, I've, I've seen people in relationships, single, because that void, only God can feel it. I'm telling you, 
Don't say, someone said, I need a relationship because I just need someone to understand me. The day they'll misunderstand you, that's when you understand that you misunderstood the relationship you needed to go into the relationship. Are you listening to me? So, life is deeper than that. Find out why you need to do what you need to do. Are you listening to me, young men and women? And the church said, Amen. Some people feel, I just need friends. The moment you get friends, that's when you get the ruining of your life. That void, some people think I will feel it through uh, movies, or some people feel like I will feel better maybe when I drink. There are people, the more they drink, the emptier they become. Someone said, let me drink so I drown my sorrows. Sorrows of nowadays learn to swim. <laughs> you will drink, wake up, still find them. I say you're up on. You still find them. <laughs> Plus they hang over on top. You love someone so much that you want to sleep with them. Let me tell you, let me tell you, huh? If he doesn't sleep me, he will leave. If he doesn't sleep me, he will leave me. You it's correct. The moment he sleeps you that same sleeping. Don't allow her or him. Yeah, there are also some very difficult ladies. For them, it's just sex. For you, you think, oh, our relationship to start. Not for my lady. And then, if you're a believer, you indulge in sex, they're cute. God. When you read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 amplified, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That means if it's outside the time of God, it's ugly. So the Bible says God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything done within time is, is nice. Gentlemen, you look at your wife pregnant, someone has not even asked you, you know, it's mine. <laughs> Mine. I'm, I'm responsible. <laughs> Some of you are giving you a serious look. I will stay here till you. <laughs> Everything done, but if it's not done within the, 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 the timing of God, see, timing is important. If it's not done, that, the same thing. If it's not done, if it's done within the timing of God, the angels rejoice and they give you blessings. More money, they give you things. But if it's done outside the will of God, outside the time of God, 
first guilt second that I was shook the wall of Mongolala. The same thing that can be a blessing can be a curse if it's mistimed. Okay, and I'm not saying this to to cheat anyone. I'm just saying those who've repented and that's not what I'm doing. I'm not condemning anyone, but I'm saying for those, be careful. Be careful. It's not necessary. Someone says it's not necessary. Sometimes people who are single think people who are, who are married are just always just blessing each other. Okay, let me, let, okay. I think, hey, all the men, eh, after this, your men Sunday, you will have a conference with me, eh? Because I feel like I'm putting too many breaks. In that conference, I'll have no breaks, not even finished ones. Okay, so all I'm saying is, there is nothing, not even in a job, I've met, in fact, I've got a lot of friends who are working very good places, but very few are happy with the jobs they have. You get a job, then there's that boss who is stepping on your left, on your left door, the last one, when it's caught. That's how it always feels. Why does this person always step on my left door, the last one? Why? We used to wear suits in law school. Now, for that suit, now we have 40%. They even calling you cancel, cancel. Can you But that, even if you build a name, for what? What does it profit the, a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? There are weightier things. You will never find peace in anything else. So he says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the hearts and minds of men. A divinely implanted uh, sense of purpose working throughout all the ages, which nothing in this world can satisfy but God alone. Nothing can satisfy that but God alone. So until you find God, you will be looking for things and those things can never fit the God-sized hole. We've got a hole here, and the only key that can fit it is God. So you put money, you put relationships, you can marry, you marry all you like. But as long as it doesn't fit God, you will never have peace. It's not, I'm not saying I'm guessing you anything. I'm just showing you how things are. Hallelujah. So this, 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 this pursuit for a God they lost, this need for a God and for the presence of God because one of the most important things in the Garden of Eden was fellowship and the presence of God. That presence is so special. That presence means everything. So, that need is what made people start looking for God in things and demons started presenting themselves to people. How do you think some religions were born? Someone met an angel in the cave. Another person met an angel in the woods. Another person just thought, if there's a good God, there can't be hell. They started the church based on that. Because there are all these conflicting things. The guy who started Buddhism was a prince. But he felt like there's more to life. So he gave up his wealth. He was looking for something. He gave up his wealth. He started living amongst the normal people. The, the, the beggars, he still wasn't satisfied. He went under a tree to meditate, seated like that, and he would eat three grains of rice sometimes per day. He's, he's looking for something. And as long as the way is not given, an evil spirit will appear to a person, or things will come to try to replace 
God. This is why, brothers and sisters, we need to preach the word of God. Jesus Christ said, if you do not, if I am the water, the living water, unless you drink from me, you, you always taste. That's what he told the woman in John 4. He said, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. What did he mean? It means if you keep marrying, you always want something better. You want an upgrade of your husband. You all, so some people who don't who don't know it, we will in a chapel, they will just they will just keep moving because they will keep getting thirsty. There's something that you are looking for. Something you are looking for. That's why when you're in a relationship, focus. Focus. Someone say focus. You think because you are in a relationship you can't see other pretty ladies and pretty boys. You will see them. You think your brains remain when you get in a relationship. You always see a girl. If you're the end, then you see the Mr. Zambe you've always dreamt of. So if you don't... If you don't make a decision, <laughs> and then men have got this ability to take everything for um, women for granted. When you are a man, remember that you are very well able to take a woman for granted. You are you are capable. That includes your mother. It includes your sisters. You can take them for granted. Become used to them. You'll be amazed when another girl says to, to your girlfriend, ah, the, the chick is pretty or something like that. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I know, stop saying it. But you're, you're like, oh, yeah, actually. You have to sometimes, relationships don't work themselves. Two people have to make them work. You have to make a decision. I will constantly find you attractive and not any other person. Job said, I made, I dictated the covenant to my eyes never to look at any other woman lustful. Don't let your eyes dictate for you. Don't you know the air of your nose? Oh! You are not going to come off And then afterwards, you feel so bad. Because some people, some of you, it's not that you are sleeping with someone, you are emotionally cheating. Yeah. A relationship begins before it begins. And it's official. That's not when it began. That's when you formalize things. As at the moment you begin exchanging the way you are feeling towards one another. Microwave. Microwave. You are emotionally cheating. Sometimes when you just notice, I'm getting too close to this or to this brother. Lines. Amen, children of God. Okay, so, see, so they were trying to get back into the presence of God. And as they were trying to get back into the presence of God, it's like they started, they started trying to find ways 
to be better, ways to get to a place where they are, the way they were in the garden. So they began to develop themselves in many ways. And one way in which they began to develop themselves was economically. Everybody said economically. <clears throat> so when they began, they just began with, uh, you know, they just used to farm, they used to do a number of things, they used to do hunting and gathering, that's how they started. But I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in um, I'm particularly interested in the organization of the world as time went by. Now, I'm going to I'm going to show you some things. I, I want you to follow me very closely because there are some theories which some economists began to postulate in order to explain how the world developed. How we moved from a place where we are just farmers to a place where we became we went into the age of mass consumption and one of those people was uh, Rostow. He was an economist and his thesis was written in 1960, but he began to describe how the world moved. And he said, at first we moved from Okay, I'm going to I'm going to cite I'm going to cite about three or four stages of economic development that you show. Then I'll show you one of my interest. So he said there were uh, preconditions for takeoff, uh, where external demand for raw materials began to increase. Development of more uh, pr uh, productive commercial agriculture and cash crops not consumed by producers largely exported. I'm going to move that. What happens also in this stage called preconditions for takeoff? Individual social mobility began. Development of national identity and shared economic interest. Then there's the next stage, which um, uh, which is which he called the takeoff. And in the takeoff, he said urbanization increased. I, I, I'm sure you know what urbanization is. Uh, industrialization uh, proceeds, technological breakthroughs began to occur. Someone say he's going somewhere. Secondary goods producing sector uh, expands into ratio of, of, of secondary versus primary sectors in the economy. And there was a shift towards producing things for the second not just eating them after you swallow them you realize that you can actually use this for that and that for that for the next stages and then he now also talked about the drive to maturity which is a place where i want to focus on and in the drive for maturity he says there was diversification of the industrial base everybody said diversification multiple industries began to expand and new ones began to take root Manufacturing shifted from investment-driven capital goods towards consumer durables and domestic uh, consumption. Rapid development of transportation infrastructure also started here. Large-scale investments in social infrastructure, that means schools, universities, and hospitals. The, he says at this point also, the, which I want you to hear, he said there was a diversification of industrial base. But around the same time when there was the drive to maturity, when there was a diversification of the industrial base, when industries began to increase, it was at this same point of our economic development where uh, people stopped from doing many things to doing one thing, or what we call division of labor. <clears throat> I'm going somewhere, which is called specialization. So at first, one person could do everything. One person could do everything. One person could do that. One person could do that. You would be the farmer yourself. You'd be the cook. You'd do everything because society was not as complex. But as our economy began to grow, and at this stage we're calling uh, the drive to maturity, there was a man 
mainly got the father of economics. His name was Adam Smith, who began to postulate another theory. I'm going to say this really fast because I know I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to a point. And he said, "Are you learning something today?" Okay. So, what he basically said in this is in his theory called uh, the division of labor. He said it's an economic concept which states that, please listen, that dividing the production process into different stages enables workers to focus on specific tasks. Come back, please. Says it's an economic principle, but it's a division of labor. Which states that dividing the production process into different stages enables workers to focus on specific tasks. If workers can concentrate on one small aspect of production, it increases the overall efficiency, so long as there are sufficient volumes and quantities are produced. So why is division of labor very important? So he said, let me give you an example. This is what we called, this is what we call the pin theory. So he said, now listen to me, he said, in the production of a pin, there are 18 stages. So there's a guy who goes and gets the ore, and then there's a guy who begins to make the wire, and then there's a guy who begins to straighten the wire, then there's a guy who makes the head, then there's a guy who polishes it, then there's a guy who does this, then there's a guy, just for that pin, there are so many processes that are involved. Then there's also packaging, then there's a guy who also sells. Now he was saying that, imagine, if one person was the one who was doing everything on one pin in a day, how many pins can you make in your day? If you have to dig, then you also have to straighten the wire. You also have to take it to the furnace in order to get the what you have to do is. So you find that your productivity, if you're doing so many things at once, would be diminished. Are you seeing that? But if we can diversify to the extent that one person can just focus on digging the metal and another person can just focus on straightening wires. He says we can have a lot of production. So that was the birth of specialization. Is it making sense? Okay. Uh, so workers need less training as they only have to master a small number of tasks. It is faster to use one particular tool to do one job. Not to have moku while to have moku. Are you listening to me? No time is wasted with a worker dropping a tool and then picking up another. This is specialization we are talking about. Workers can gain loyalty and a sense of achievement from their branch of production. Okay? When you constantly do the same thing, you increase your market base. Because people know you for that one thing, okay? Someone say he's about to make a dangerous point. <laughs> okay, workers can concentrate on those jobs which best suit their skills and their temperament. So you can focus on one thing. Praise the Lord. If specials are highly specialized, then the job can become, those are the, now, now, there are disadvantages of this, which I'm weighing more towards because society has taught us to specialize in one thing. That's why you find when a person is a doctor, all they study is medicine, not so. When a person is a physicist, they may start like this, but all they focus on is physics. When a person is a lawyer, all they do in university is they study the law. Are you listening to me? But these things have got a disadvantage, and this is where I'm going to weigh in. It says, that point says, if workers are highly specialized, then the job can become very boring and repetitive. This can lead to low labor morale. And the psychological, the psychological disposition of an individual is very important to their work output. 
So you need to have a certain mind in order to work properly. How many of you uh, have, can say that there's a point where you did the same job so much that you got bored? You want something, maybe most of you are students, but you want something new. Sometimes you do the same thing so much that you get bored. So it's very possible. If, if workers lose the motivation to concentrate and do a, a good job, mistakes may creep in as they get boring. See? Uh, an assembly line could grind to a halt if there is a blockage in one particular area. That means if you only do one thing in life, when there's a problem with that one thing you're doing, for example, if all you used to do was work at a certain place, and then they've closed because of COVID, it means there's nothing else you can do. Things have gone bad. That's the problem with specialization. Okay? Adam Smith himself recognized potential problem and advocated education of the workforce so that they wouldn't get too demoralized by their repetitive jobs. When you're building a company, one thing you should do is make sure everyone begins to rotate to know what is done in the other department. What makes a good CEO is his ability to have at least a good amount of knowledge of every department. So if you're working in a manufacturing industry, you must know where they get the all, who work there, what quantities of concentration of this and that is needed to form that product. You must also know the kind of documents that the accounting department must prepare in order that you may submit them to relevant authorities such as ZRA or if you want to take them to the stock exchange or if you want to sell them to a client. You must also know that the minimum amount of the law that governs manufacturing so that the lawyers don't lie to you. You must know the acts that talk about production, the acts that talk about consumer protection, the acts that talk about dealing with Zema. If let's say the product you are uh, dealing with is, 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 is not environmental friendly. So you must also know where to get the correct uh, market, what's involved in marketing. So if you want to be a good CEO, you must have at least knowledge in so many things. If you want to be a good pastor, you must, you must also know what it means to be administratively sound. You must also know what it means to be a deacon. You must also know how to play an instrument if you can. You must so you must be able to do a number of things at once if you want to make a good CEO. Free lesson. My company Skyline will not pay you for this. But the next meeting you are going to pay. So that's a free lesson. Now, here's the last point on the, the disadvantages of specialization. If you if your if you if your specialized job is done, no employment. If you only knew one thing in life and that thing fails, it means there's nothing else you can do. There is something wrong with this, uh, the place where we have reached, where society has developed in such a way that the principles that have been built over time have made us forgotten that God made us multidimensional. That's what I'm trying to say. Society has changed things over time to the extent that we don't see that God has made us in many parts. God has made us in many parts, but we end up focusing only on one part because society demands that we move away from the multidimensionalism of man and change the purpose of God so that you can focus only on one thing. But when you read the Bible, it says only one person was given one talent. The rest were given many in Matthew chapter number 25. One man was given three talents. That means one man was able to handle three different kinds of things. You can find that in your life you're able to do computers. In your life you're also able to sing. In your life you're also able to act. But you're also a doctor. 
why should you let your life be fixed because economy has insisted in its development that you should focus only on one thing you'll be judged over the other things that you never paid attention to because once the worldly system has developed in such a way that you must focus only on one thing it is at cross purpose and at loggerheads with the original intent of god which has given you a number of things a lot of you have forgotten that you can actually sow a lot of you have forgotten that you can sing you are just on your job obeying what the system of the world has become from the time that the world fell to the time that men began to subject it to their wisdom that's why a lot of people are lazy so how do you manage we have the same hours i realize that god put a number of talents in me and when he comes if i said i was afraid i would lose my job that man he said i was afraid he said i knew you were an hard man kjv his issue was i was afraid some people are afraid if they focus on one thing it will be my one they are afraid if they don't focus on the other thing rather it's my one how can i be a guy so when i get into fashion design people don't know me like that had i known when i was younger i would have not allowed my shame to stop me from designing when i was younger i loved to see the person so i and i i began to i could like draw things i could design things but i was afraid so i let that go at another point i began to draw so well one day i drew mickey mouse he looked so good he was he was a brilliant drawing my father loved it so much that he got that and he made a portrait out of it my mother came yeah you're supposed to be a doctor you can't be doing this you can't be doing that we they dealt with us in there me and my dad um my mom dealt with us and removed the thing we were all just my father was just like <laughs> Don't deal with your husband. <laughs> so that's how I, I let go of drawing. But as I began to grow, I realized there are things that God has put in me. I can't focus on one thing alone. If God has given me the talents, it's not the world which is going to judge me. It's God who's going to judge me. I listening to me. God is the one who's going to judge me. So I noticed, number one, I can write. I decided I was going to write. I can do ministry. I decided I would do ministry. I can sing. Not <laughs> album. I will never, Miles Monroe said, one of the richest places is the grave. Do you know, I, do you know the reason why I told you all those things Adam was able to do? Adam was able to do all those things because there was something that was working in him. And also he was in the perfect will of God. That's why he knew all those dimensions of agriculture. You are not like the world. You are not like the world. You can be so good at so many things. As long as God has given you. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 25, he gave a talent to each according to his ability. So if God gives you nine talents, it means he has also given you ability for the nine talents. For you to say I can't manage is an insult on your ability. You know the things God has put you in. God is Someone said God. So whatever God put you on, some of you are young. You can't just be working the whole time. 
<laughs> you have to do everything God told you <laughs> to like come into so. You will have to do the work of God. Someone say, I'm doing the work of God. I would like to encourage you, brothers and sisters. If you've been given three talents, work them excellently. Don't be like the world which is afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you know that Daniel was put in charge? When you read Daniel chapter number six, Daniel was put in charge of a hundred and twenty provinces. He was overseeing overseers of provinces. And yet he was smarter than all of them in terms of how they dealt with their individual accounts of their provinces. To the extent that the king wanted to make him second only to the king. And the people said, no, there's no way. Those, they were like, no, we're not going to do this. So guess what they did? They decided we are going to implicate him. They checked the accounts. They found the man was in charge of 120 provinces. And yet there was no fault. In terms of management, in terms of accounts, in terms of the loyalty of the people to the king. And yet Daniel used to pray three times a day facing Jerusalem. Then you just, one girlfriend, you're confused. You can't come to church. You can't be online. You are specializing. You are following the pattern of the world. The wisdom of Adam Smith is the wisdom of the world. I'm not saying it's demonic. I'm saying it's the wisdom of the world. It has a place, but we must transcend it. We are submissive to the word of God and not what the world says. Be different. Be different. The Bible says because an excellent spirit. He says this Daniel, sorry, this Daniel distinguished himself. Because you will not find Chifungwe there. So you have to put your name. When you are meditating on the scriptures, you put your name. Hey, you say this uh, what? Guy, what your name is? Chu, she distinguished himself. Because an ex why? An excellent spirit is a mother of management. When God gives you a lot, it's that ex you know the word excellent means actually the amplified the amplified version says extraordinary spirit. That means beyond measure. When everyone sleeps, when everyone has to sleep, they have to sleep. When you've been caught to more, you just can't sleep like everyone else. After you are done studying, you have to go watch YouTube videos on how to bake and how to use newer ingredients. You must be 10 steps ahead of your friends sometimes. Whilst you are waiting to finish school so that this one day they can get a job or do this. Do, you know God has given you things. You know God has given you things. Begin working them. Now is the time when you hear the word the Bible says, do not harden your heart. Daniel was able to manage. Why? Because there was an excellent spirit. The Bible tells us uh, uh, in, in the book of in the book of Second um, Peter, chapter number one. I need to show you this, and I'm closing. Don't worry. Twenda na Yesu, twenda na Yesu, twenda na Yesu. chapter number 1 verse 3 he says according as his divine power hath given unto us all 
pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and excellence or virtue. God called us to an excellent life. He called us to glory. If you don't know what your calling is, at least know you are called to glory and excellence. What are you called to do to be excellent and to be glorified? At least you have known something. It's a calling. Whatever you are doing, excellent means be more, do more. You have to go the extra mile. When you've got an excellent spirit, you don't say, I've got too many things, I'm going into multitask. You begin saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then you begin building the muscle, the ability to do it. You don't start complaining, I'm failing. No! You've been called to an excellent spirit. That brings glory to God. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah! We are an excellent church. I know we are an excellent church. I know you are an excellent person. After this, the world is not yet ready. They will be saying, this side, the Kabul worked well. This side, her farm is doing fine. This side, his business is doing well. The other time, is doing well. You are an excellent person. The Bible says, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. I said, the world is not yet ready. See, because as I'm talking to you, that excellent spirit is being stared up. It's being stared up. Hallelujah. It's being said, I will do everything. I will run my businesses. You will do that. You will run your businesses. You Even your marriage won't fail. How do you manage to give time to your wife and do all these things? The excellent spirit is working in you. How do you manage to do school and do church but you don't fail? Why? Because in that realm of excellence, there's no room for failure. There's no room for failure in the realm of excellence. How? Someone say how. Come on, say how. how. Ask, ask, how, where, when, why. There's no room. Listen, it's not just non-existent. It's non-anticipatable. That means it doesn't occur to you. It doesn't occur to you. Afraid? Not in the realm of excellence. Why? You see, those people, like I showed you, there was a lot of the power and presence of God. But we have found it. So we are laboring like Adam, except we are an upgrade. Why? Because the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 15 verse 45, 1 Corinthians 15 45, it says, the first man was a living soul. But the second man was not just living, he was a life-giving spirit. And so are those who are after him. We are after him. We are not just living beings, we are life-giving spirits. Hallelujah! Say, I'm a life-giving spirit. If you never knew, you now know. You are a life-giving spirit. Nothing dies in your hands. Come on, say, nothing dies in my hands. You hold a relationship, it will not die. You start a job, you will do it excellently. Nothing dies in my hands. See, Zechariah 4 6 is not by power nor by might, but by the Spirit of the Lord. There's something that is working in you. The Bible says there's a spirit in man. There's a spirit in my life. The Bible says an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. Even when you are giving, that excellent spirit is operating. Yes. 
You said, ah, where did you get the money? You were excellent, you kept it. You said, I'm going to give. You kept it. Not your mother fish. Why am I facing these temptations? <laughs> oh. I don't know, after morning, I'm to finish my last Imagine sitting here full. Not to drink it at the Chinese. Adi? It can have a woman of my own. I put open it. That's in my own. And what I'm going to I don't know, turn up all alone because you think you are full, then you will belch. Then you have you been there where you think you think you are full, then after you belch. You ah. When you're not excited, that's your portion. But that's not for you. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'll just read you this one last part, then we'll close. Let's be inspired. Someone say, I am inspired. I am inspired. There were people who, before we reached the edge of empiricism, before we reached, now it will be, what I'm saying, it's like I'm prophesying to you because it will be written of you. See, during the edge, during the edge of, the, uh, when we were in the metaphysical stage, or the stage where philosophy was preeminent uh, and was more important than science, there were people who, as a science was beginning, were a number of things. are called polymaths. Polymathism is an expression of excellence. Polymath means people are knowledgeable over a number of things. That means when you are explaining biology, it's like, I'll jump up on guys here. Then when you enter into economics, when you enter into physics, you understand your stuff well. When you start discussing how the word of God operates, also you are a kakuru. Come on, that's you. That's your life. Hey, you, you know, you know, you know my favorite cartoon, Mr. Peabody. I love Mr. Peabody. You should go watch it. Find Mr. Peabody. That dog knew everything about everything. I saw it. That, that's one of the best cartoons I've ever seen. Not SpongeBob. <laughs> So you are a polymath. You know it. In every, if God is going to give you five talents, you have to be good in all five. There's no way. There's no way you can feel like. No, I, I've, I've always felt like I can be a journalist, but anyways, I can just... No, if, if you've got the gift, you do it excellently. In life, sometimes you have a main calling. For example, my main calling is to be a pastor. But I'm not going to write an excellent. Even if I'm going to be in legal work, I'll do it so excellent. If I'm going to do music, it will be something you'll be happy to hear. Yes, yes, yes. You have to write so, even when you write a post, you have to write so clearly that those who are just emotional about it can even say secretly, okay, come back from the scripture. Yes, Okay, so, listen. Now, now, 
I want, I want, I want to show you a reflection of some of the people you are. So some people like you've obviously heard of Leonardo da Vinci, 1452-1519, a prime example of a Renaissance man. He was a painter, a sculptor, a humanist, a scientist, an architect, a philosopher, an engineer. And he was also he was also into aviation. He was one of the first people who had designed the first aeroplane. He also began to, they would allow him to get into, into universities and he would get corpses, if and then he would he would draw incisions, then he would start drawing their anatomy. He was one of the first people who began drawing anatomies. You can imagine it. That's one man. A year specialization. I'm not denying. I'm just saying there were other people who lived like this. Oh, they are the better, they are the higher IQ of the Holy Ghost. Michelangelo Bonarotti. 1475 to 1664, excelled as an architect, painter, sculptor, poet, and writer. Excelled. Meaning that one for poem, you are the one we fear. But when we also look at your school, we are like, no wonder. But also when we look at our business, we are like, hey. A 60 year old man should say, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Well, you who's 20. the will of God for you. You've been called to glory and excellence. When I read the book, couldn't have less. I couldn't. I tried. I couldn't have less. I couldn't. I couldn't have less. In my understanding of the word of God, I couldn't have less. It's not my calling. In the way I minister, I couldn't have less. In the way I prepare to feed my, my sheep, the children of God, I couldn't prepare less. You, I have to make sure you fit excellently. Yes. So that when we know I feel what I put in the faith. But you walk away patient. But I know you are not that type. Hallelujah. Yes. You are the type that listens. Yes, Benjamin Franklin. These are people you know. 1743 to 1826 was many things. This is what the writer says. Including an architect, author, lawyer, musician, botanist, inventor, philosopher, political theorist, and naturalist. Ibn Rashid, this is, this is an odd time person, 1126 to 1198. You, you read about him, you, you go ahead. See? He was a doctor, a lawyer, an, an astronomer, a philosopher, a theologian and a mathematician. Galileo Galileo, these are people you know. Hmm? He was mostly interested in astronomy, but was also very knowledgeable in fields of mathematics, physics, philosophy, music, and art. Then you specialization. Something has changed in your life today. I want you to stand up, raise your hand, and begin to thank God for that spirit of excellence. You are a jack of all your traits and master of all of them. Don't listen to that lie. You are a jack of all your traits and master at all your talents. I said lift your heart. 
Lift your hands. We're going to thank open your mouth. Begin God. I said begin to thank God for the spirit of excellence. Yeah, it's working in your life. It's operating forcefully. La brazo que de prende de que suda da da.